This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow. And I'm Derek Lavasser. Today we're diving into part two of Cody Joyce. I'm going to give you a quick recap. Uh, Cody Joyce was a young man who went to a party. He was in a an argument about a hot pocket with one of the other individuals there. And before you know it, there was a fight. There was a scuffle. He was getting beat up. There was some chokeholds happening. And then Cody was gone. And nobody's been arrested for this, even though there were multiple people involved, multiple people who were seen not only hitting him, but choking him and cutting off his oxygen for an extended period of time. And his autopsy showed that he had died from a compression to his throat. So he was basically strangled and had lost oxygen to his brain for so long that he passed out and he died. But nobody has been arrested. And we're going to kind of go into that today. For those of you who who hate me and are only here for Derek, <laughs> I know I see you guys out there in the comments. I know you are out there saying she's stupid and annoying. I hate her voice. I wish Derek talked more. You're going to be super happy today because Derek is he's uh, taking the lead on this one. He was boots on the ground in Pennsylvania with this case. He has had contact with the family and um, and you're going to be hearing from him a little bit more today than me. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's, it's make some of you happy. First and foremost, nobody's buying that whatsoever because I read, I can read too and I see the comments and your, your troop is strong and Please, I can see your face. You're full of it right now. But <laughs> but I appreciate the compliment. I appreciate you making it, you know, putting that narrative out there, even though it's completely false. But it's not completely false. It's like 20% it's, false. It's pretty, it's pretty false. <laughs> it's pretty false. These are your people out here. And I appreciate you guys embracing me. If you guys haven't figured out the format yet, how we do this, you know, Stephanie writes these incredible scripts, these narratives that we kind of keeps us on track. And I'm not good at that, nor do I need to do that on this episode, because these are things that I lived after Breaking Homicide aired. And with any case that I've ever worked and with any case that you see us cover here, yes, we're covering it. Some are solved, but the end goal is always the same, and that's to move the case forward. Are we always going to be able to solve it by through a podcast or a YouTube video or even a television show? Most likely not, but it's the... It's getting it out there so that more people can see it and those individuals can put pressure or call out, you know, at least ask for justice from people who can make a difference in the case. And so that, w- that was the situation here with Cody Joyce. And, and when I originally did it um, in, uh, for Breaking Homicide, I believe I started working the case in 2018. I believe BH aired in 2018. It might have been early 2019, but I believe it was 2018. Um, so... Stephanie did a great job of kind of, we, we caught up, you guys know the case. So the question is what happened afterwards? And normally we wouldn't have an, ep- an entire episode just dedicated to the aftermath, but I promise you this, this case deserves it. And you're going to see why as we go through some different things. So the show airs 
And as soon as the show airs, like a lot of uh, cases, I start getting phone calls, um, direct messages, emails, et cetera. And a lot of it is stuff we already know. Some of it is, is new. You, you never know. Can I stop you for a second? Of course. Anytime. So, stop me. Yeah. <laughs> remember when we talked about the text message at the end of last episode, we never actually talked about how she got the text message to didn't. Cody's uncle and how the police wouldn't even talk about it or look look at it. So we should we should talk a, a little bit. Want to hit that first? Yeah, let's let's do that. I think. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Uncle Steve, right? So Alyssa Juristi is the name of the girlfriend. Um, she has the text message. She runs into Steve, uh, Uncle Steve, Cody's Uncle Steve, somewhere out. I don't remember where. Basically tells him, "I have this text message. I want to show it to you." She shows Steve, and what does Steve do? He brings her to the police department. He brings her himself to the police department. And and to summarize, they said, hey, you know what? We're still waiting for the results from the autopsy. So we're not taking anything from you right now. Huge mistake. She had the phone right there. They could have seized that phone. They could have kept it in evidence, made sure that it wasn't altered in any way until they got the autopsy report back. But they told her to come back. They basically told her to leave. Um, but Steve was smart enough to make it, take a screenshot of the text message. I will say this. Uh, I reached out to Alyssa. Um, we had a lot of a couple conversations, but understandably she didn't want to have any part of the show. Um, she did not want to be interviewed on camera and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but she did acknowledge on the phone to me directly that the text message I was in possession of the picture that I, I read back to her was in fact the exact text message she had received from Ryan Sabo. Um, and that was good enough for me because if she's saying it to me, she's also willing to say it to the courts, you know, cause she knew who I was and that I was planning on, you know, presenting that to millions of people who are going to watch the show. Does that kind of, that kind of gives us the, I mean, basically again, they had an opportunity to seize a piece of evidence, which was an admission of guilt. And, and I believe it was the, the initial police officer, I don't even know if it was detectives, but they, they basically turned her and Steve away. And at this point, so much time has passed. It would be almost impossible to verify whether that text was real or not, even though both you and I do believe it was. It would be impossible for law enforcement to verify it because uh, cell phone carriers don't they don't keep their messages for that long. It would be impossible for them to store all of that information on their servers for everybody in the world who uses um, whatever network it is. So that that's a problem. Because we would have to be, if a grand jury was called, we'd have to be just relying on Alyssa's testimony, which I think is pretty reliable if you're testifying in front of a grand jury because you're under threat of perjury at that point. But we'd have to just depend on that. And that might not be enough for some grand jury members. Exactly. And they could have taken the phone. They could have downloaded the data, which becomes an archi you know, ar archival file that's not altered. We talked about hashing and all this in a previous episode with the cameras. So then even though however much time has passed, that that data is still preserved. You know, it's immortalized right there where it's not going to change over time because it's in a secured facility. They didn't do that. So to your point, you could still bring it up in court. You could have Alyssa testify to it. But as you just mentioned, a defense attorney would have a field day with that. Why do you think they didn't take the message or even take it seriously? Because I believe uh, Uncle Steve in, in Breaking Homicide, he said something like it seemed like they didn't even want to even see it, like they didn't want to talk about it. Like just the fact that they would know it existed would cause some sort of like issue. 
Yeah, I think it was mainly, again, this is speculative on my part, but they thought it was going to come back as an OD. I really think they were probably thinking to themselves, you guys are going down this path and we're never going to hear from you again after you find out that he OD'd on some drug. And then when that didn't happen, they got egg on their face. That's that's my that's what I've surmised from it. But again, that's just based on what I've uncovered in my own investigation. I can't speak to what they were thinking at the time, although I can tell you definitively that was the wrong decision. Did they ever end up taking the text message or? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. But again, at that point, you know, more time has passed and I don't know. Uh, Didn't like it. Did not like it at all. So we cover that. We're pretty much caught up. So the show ends and I receive an email and I'm going to say this officer's name and it's because at the end of the day, he's a police officer. I'm not asking anyone to contact him. I'm not asking anyone to look him up on social media. I'm actually asking you not to do any of that. Okay. So please, you're going to make it worse for Cody's family and everyone else if we start to make these people look like victims, you know, Um, but but his name is Detective Dale Canafari or Canafari. Uh, He reached out to me through email and said, hey, Derek, I'd like to speak with you. I'm now the lead investigator on the case. And I'd like to talk to you about some of the things that were in the show. And how long after you left Pennsylvania did you get, you know, did he contact you? It was after the show aired. So whenever the show aired, it was very quickly right after that. It wasn't after nobody contacted me until the show came out. Um, And I made numerous attempts. But once the show aired, it, it got back to me that there were definitely people out there in administrative roles saying this does not look good. You got to we got to call this guy because he's saying he has stuff that we don't have. He's got confidential witnesses in the show that are saying that they saw him in, you know, we got a call. Was he the so, one that said, I didn't see the program, but it's all everybody's talking about? Nope. That's the, that we're going to get to that. That's the email. That's the email. Um, I'm assuming he watched the program. And the reason why I'm assuming the detective watched the program was because he said, listen, I wasn't assigned to this case initially when this happened, but I have it now. And we can both agree that this case needs to come to a, an ending, a closure, whether that's a grand jury, whether that's coming out and saying we're ruling it self-defense, there needs to be an ending to this story for the family. And I said, Detective Canafari couldn't agree with you more. That's all they're asking for. And so he said, well, what do you have? And, and initially I said, well, what do you want to know? I'm not going to give him everything. You know, you called, you contacted me and he said, well, first off, I'd love to speak to the confidential informant that was in the show because that individual had some pretty damning information and I think it'd be valuable to the case. Sure. No problem. So I give him the information for the, for this individual. And immediately he says, Oh, I know that name. We already spoke to him. We spoke to him when this initially happened. And I said, yeah, I'm aware. I'm aware of that. But I also know that he was a young kid. There's a lot of pressure on him. And he was a little cautious about saying anything to the police for fear of, you know, retaliation, but time has passed. He he knows what he saw that night. He, he and he wants to speak again and he's willing to testify to this version under oath. And he's also willing to say that his first version might have been a little skewed because again, he was a young high school kid and he just wanted this to kind of go away. And uh, the detective says, "You know what? I'll give him a call." I said, I appreciate that. I think you should. I think that's a great idea. Week passes, no call. Two weeks pass, no call. So I call Detective Canafari back and I say, oh, Detective, I'm just, you know, 
I don't want to tell you how to do your job. Just wondering if you're going to call this individual because as we both know, detectives, some people can change their minds. You know, one week they're willing to speak, something gets in their head or someone gets to them and then all of a sudden they have amnesia. And he says, no, I'm going to get to him, but I'm going to get to him. But just to be, just to be transparent with you, Derek, I don't really know what we can do with him because the defense is going to rip him apart because he gave an initial statement and now he's giving a new one. And I said, well, I, I kind of disagree with you there. I don't think that's the case. I think it's understandable that his statement originally was vague and maybe not exactly what had happened. And now he's coming forward with a more definitive um, explanation of what happened that night. And it just so happens to be in more in line with the findings from the autopsy. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you're right. I I'll give him a call. I'll give him a call. So about another week passes and I call the CI, I call the confidential informant. And I say, did he call you again? He goes, yeah, he called me, but he didn't ask me any questions. He basically just called me to tell me, hey, I know you were the one on the show, but you gave an initial statement. And so even though you're saying something different now, it's worthless in court. But I just wanted to call you and tell you that. That's all he said to him. It's kind of like intimidation a little bit. Like it's worthless what you're saying. So stop saying it is the way I guess I would kind of perceive it if I was that person. I think you're open, whatever you want. I mean, I just took it as he completely diminished what this kid was doing, which was coming out and being courageous enough to tell the truth, even though it took a few years. Yeah. When you diminish and what he's saying and you. That's how I took yeah, it. Yeah, well, That's kind of intimidation. Like what you're saying doesn't matter. So don't say it anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't like that. So I was I was pissed off. I was really pissed off. And I called Detective Canafari and. Understand, guys, I'm trying to play, for those Big Brother fans out there, I'm trying to play Big Brother a little bit with these people because um, you get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. So even though initially I thought it could have been handled a lot better, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be understanding and work with these individuals because they're the ones that can ultimately make a difference in the case. Even though behind closed doors, I'm like, what are these guys doing? So I call them and I said, hey, did you happen to call the CI yet? And he says, yeah, yeah, I talked to him. So once he said that, I go, yeah, but you didn't really talk to him because all you basically said is that it doesn't matter what he's saying now because he said something different initially. And he goes, yeah, well, but I told you that. I told you that was the case, Derek. And I said, and I told you that I disagreed with you and I don't understand how you're determining how valid his statement is. Why wouldn't you do what's called a supplemental report, take a new statement from him, and present it to someone at the district attorney's office or your superior officer and let them make that determination. You're, you're making that determination before even taking a second statement from him. Take the statement, compare it to the first one, and then make that decision. Don't dismiss him before even giving him an opportunity to explain himself. He didn't want to hear it. He really didn't want to hear it. So that we weren't off to a good start. I can say that much. We were not off to a good start, but I heard him loud and clear. He was looking for a witness that had not spoken to police yet. And I was going to give him that. And we're going to talk about that right after this first break. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. All right, so we're back from break. And before the break, I had just got done explaining that this lead detective, the guy who's now overseeing the case, um, explained to me that although I had an individual who was at the party who witnessed Devin Hinkle put Cody Joyce into a chokehold, um, who who came, went outside with Ryan Sabo, was there with Ryan Sabo, asked him not to go back inside, and Ryan Sabo refused to do so, ripped his cast off, ran back in. Although he was saying all this, the detective felt that his statement would not be credible in a, in a court of law because he gave an initial statement that was contradictory to to this statement. What 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 do you think, and Stephanie, at this point? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners and, and viewers, you know, are coming at this from they're hearing this for the first time because there was no episode on breaking homicide about these interactions. So what's what's what are your feelings right now? So this is Dale Canafori, right? Dale Canafori, yep. And he's a homicide detective. He's he's the deta- I don't know if he's a ho- I don't know if there's a specific homicide unit, but he is the lead detective in this homicide investigation. Well, the initial guy, the first police officer on scene, remember he said call the paramedics and call homicide. Correct. So you're right. So there's probably a homicide division in Allegheny County. The initial, which we never mentioned this name before, the initial officer that I spoke with before going out there was a Lieutenant Andy Sherman. He was kind of overseeing the case initially. Um, and now Dale was. All right. So I guess I'm over here wondering, like, you're a homicide detective. You were investigating this case as a homicide, I assume, because that's what you do. Yeah, it's an open homicide investigation. Uh-huh. Right. And you're not going to take evidence or listen to witnesses who support the fact that it was a homicide. Doesn't that seem kind of dumb? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. I, I we're gonna get more into it. There's a lot. There's a there's more layers to this conversation and this story. This I wish this was the worst part. It, it's it gets worse, but it does seem like he was speaking to people at the Allegheny County District Attorney's Office. They were probably advising him because of some other things that he said, which we're gonna get to at some point. Because you you went back there after Breaking Homicide came out and everything, and, and you said in this in this press conference, you said, "I'm not here with my." With my TV cameras, I'm here as me on my own dime because I care about this case. And and you you were very clear, and you said I'm I'm a law enforcement advocate. Like I am pro law enforcement, of course, because of what you did for what twenty years. You're going to to be on the side of police because you understand that, in your opinion, the majority of them are doing the right thing and they want to do their jobs and they want to solve these cases. But even you, in the face of all of this, you had to say, I don't support this and I can't find a reason, a logical or valid reason why this would be happening because you had you would come there saying whatever the truth is, I'll find it out. If the truth leads to the fact that the police did nothing wrong, even though I'm you know, sad for what happened to Cody and I'm sad for his family, I'm not going to 
ignore that. But you couldn't find any evidence. You couldn't find anything that led you to believe that the police had done this case justice or even, in my opinion, taken it seriously as a homicide from the beginning. Because if they had, they would have taken that text message. They would have listened to these witnesses. They would have been doing what you were collected, doing. Collected blood samples. Mm-hmm. You collected cell phones from, from these four individuals. And they would have been doing what you were doing because I think before we left for the break, you said, well, I knew he wanted somebody who hadn't already given a statement to the police. So I was going to find that. That's kind of like his job. It's kind of what he should have been doing if that's what he wanted. Right. And maybe maybe people don't want to speak to them directly. But to your point, everything you just said, you know, I was really hopeful when I first spoke to Detective Kenafari because I figured, okay, there was another detective on it. Maybe he was you know, an ass clown, honestly, maybe he just was a complacent guy, wasn't doing his job. This new guy seems like he, he really does care. And the fact that he reached out to me is a good sign. And I think we're on the same page and I think he's going to take everything he has, take everything I'm able to provide for him, bring it over to the DA's office and let them decide what, where they go from there. And if, if they don't have anything, come back to us and say, you know what, Derek, I, Detective Dale Canafari took it over there. I made a nice package. They turned me down. They didn't want to convene a grant. Sorry. That's what I was hopeful of initially. And you weren't being combative with him at any point. Because like you said, you're trying to play both sides. Like you want him to think I'm on your side. Like blah, 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 blah. Were you being yeah, not combative? In, not initially, but we... <laughs> not, not initially though, right? Yeah, we, had, we when, had some... When you got we pushed were, back, did you start pushing back? Yeah, we were jawing a little bit. Yeah. We were jawing a little bit for sure. Um, but kept it cordial. No name calling, but he knew I was pissed off. And he, he you know... We, we, we're going to get there. So, so he says this guy, this first confidential informant that was in the show that, you know, anyone who's seen the show who, you know, or listened to our podcast, you know about, you know what he's alleging pretty, pretty damning, but apparently according to this detective, it's not going to work for him. So what do I do at that point? I can't, you know, I can't fight it too much because at the end of the day, this is the lead detective. So I said, okay, I'm going to find you someone that hasn't spoken to police yet. And I said that because I already had someone. So I'm going to read some some Twitter DMs that I received from people. The first couple ones are character witnesses. They're not the smoking gun, but we're going to get there because everything I'm reading to you now, I screenshot and sent to Detective Canafari in an email. So there was nothing that I left out. There was nothing that I held back. And I, I wasn't trying to do his job where I'm going to read a few of them, but I received many messages and I sent him everything I had because... I wanted to give him the opportunity to develop his own investigation. I wasn't trying to point him in any direction. Only direction I wanted to go was forward. That's it. So for this first Twitter DM, and I'm going to redact names. I'm going to make it so that you guys don't know where they came from, just in case this case ever goes forward. Um, And I want to keep these individuals, their identities, you know, safe. So this first person was uh, not at the, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this. Um, I wasn't at the party, but I've known Angel Hinkle my entire life, and the girl has hopped into numerous fights with boys as long as I can remember. There is no way Cody hit her. I've seen her swing at males countless times, too. Thank you for doing this. I truly hope justice is served. I wrote back to her, thank you, have you ever spoken to police? She said, I have not. I wasn't friends with those kids because they are bad news, and I cut ties in early high school. But I know what they're like, so I can believe all of the evidence leading to them for sure. Just speaking to their character. That was that was one initial statement. Here's another one. 
So this is another individual. She she writes, uh, e- okay, she, she says, I want to talk about the text message that Ryan Sabo sent to Alyssa Juristi. I know that it's true 100%. I'm pretty close friends with Angel. Um, maybe I can try to help. I know that the text messages from Alyssa Juristi are 100% real as well. Uh, I worked with her at the time of the death, and she was a complete mess and showed me her phone at work days later. Okay. Um, I, and I've heard it from her mouth directly. Cody was not an aggressive person unless he needed to be. Uh, but I do regret not going to the party that night, or I would have came forward with what I had seen initially with all of these. Every time they speak to me, I end it with, are you willing to speak to police? And everyone that I'm saying to you now, they all said, yes. Again, it's another person saying angel did have a bruise, but it was known throughout circles that the bruise um, was not necessarily from an assault. It could have been from the fight that night, but it wasn't specifically from Gino. And an angel apparently, allegedly, again, this is all allegedly, this is from people who are DMing me that anytime anyone brought up Gino to Angel, she would she would get angry or upset because she knew that she was kind of she was kind of in the middle of all this because a lot of people that were choosing to side with the four individuals were basing it on the allegation that Gino was beating her up. And then you have the other side that had spoken to her and said, Hey, did Gino ever put his hands on you? And allegedly she told them he didn't. So everyone was looking at her like, Hey, what really happened? So after her initial, whatever she told certain people, and I have reason to believe just based on my own speculation that she probably told whatever story was convenient for the person who was asking. You following me there? Yes. And I just want to remind everybody too, uh, Gino was Cody's nickname. So same person. Cody Joyce is Gino. If you see justice for Gino, it's about Cody Joyce. That is correct. But there's a real reality where, you know, if people who are with the, you know, the four individuals asked, hey, did he hit you? He hit you, right? Maybe she out of fear. Yeah, yeah, he hit me. And then on the other side, You could also make the argument that maybe he did hit her. And when Melody or one of the family members from Cody's side asked, she denied it. You you don't know. Whatever her initial, whatever her statement to police was, is what they're going to go with. But again, as I said last episode, if that were the case, Allegheny County PD would have more than likely already closed this case as a a self-defense situation. They have not. So that leads me to believe that there is no substantial evidence that would suggest uh, Cody was beaten up on this girl or beaten up on someone else. And he was the one that was out of control and everyone was just trying to defend themselves. What do you think about some of those initial DMs that I that I've just read? I mean, like you said, they're, they're character statements. Um, did you verify these people? Did you verify that they didn't have like an axe to grind or things like that? To be honest with you, these are these are Twitter people. They're giving me their name, their information, their address, their phone number. But what I really want to do is is not ingrain myself as much as possible. I want to just be a conduit for police because at court, if I'm doing all this research or even the more conversations I have with these witnesses, it could be used against them. So I tried to just serve as a conduit for the lead detective. And when they spoke to me, are you willing to speak to police? Thank you. I try to pass it on. I don't ever want to be accused of coaching them or influencing what they say. So I try to, if it's not for the show directly, if it's afterwards, I try to minimize my contact with them as much as possible. So you made the introductions hoping that the police would do the verifying. That's it. And all these screen grabs that I'm reading to you now, again, 
just so he wasn't hearing just my words, I sent them directly to the lead detective so he could read it and interpret it any way he wanted along with their contact information. Well, I mean, from what I see, it's 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 a lot of angel had a kind of a reputation for being a brawler, even if there's men involved, you know, and I I get that. I've been there. Um, when you're young, you think nothing can hurt you. But if she was known to do this, then it's not out of the question that she would be doing this, especially in this kind of fight when it's four against one. And there's this mob mentality with, with young kids and teenagers, too, where it's like, well, everybody's beating up on this kid. He must be bad. Let me jump in. And she probably was collateral damage and didn't get hurt. I don't know for sure, though. I don't want to um, <laughs> kind of come out and say this girl's lying about getting punched by Cody because there's th- that slim chance that that this did happen. And I don't ever want to victim shame. But, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely leaning to the, the side of that's probably not what happened. And like you said, she told many other people after, like, no, he never touched me. So I don't know. It, it, again, it, you know. There's a lot of he said, she said, I would think that if there was something definitive that would suggest these things were true as far as Gino's behavior, we, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today and I never would have went to Mun Hall in the first place. Um, so it's, it's hard for me to believe that's true. And then on top of that, having these statements from individuals who know these people, it does line up with the fact that this was a mutual fight maybe initially. And then when three other guys jumped in, it became more of a, an assault than a fight. You know, because, and I've talked to lawyers about this, you know, what justifies or what would define self-defense? Because Laurel Gift, who we mentioned last episode, you know, if, if Cody was 6'5", 260, and these four individuals were 100 pounds soaking wet, you know, four feet tall, technically four on one could be seen by some as self-defense, right? But that that wasn't the case here, you know, and these these individuals had the opportunity to remove themselves from the situation and they chose not to. So in my opinion, the self-defense defense goes out the window at that point. I don't I don't ever want to think that four against one could ever be considered self-defense, honestly. That makes me incredibly uncomfortable. So <laughs> I, that's never the case, especially when you can restrain him. Like four people against one person. I don't care if he's 260 pounds and they're each 100 pounds soaking wet. Like you can still restrain him enough. You don't have to kill him. Yeah, you would think so. I'll, I'll give it. A, so my angle on it is, and by no means am I defending these guys. If anything, you got you guys know where I stand on this case. I think I've made that pretty transparent. But if The Rock comes into a bar and me and my brother, who are decent sized guys, uh, you know, walk up to him and, you know, he hits a girl. Sorry, Rock. I love you, Rock. Yeah, I know you wouldn't do that. But he just he says, what are you guys going to do about it? Personally, I think I can hold my own, but there's a very good chance The Rock is going to take me and my brother and they're going to sm- he's going to smash our heads together and knock us both out. So, I get what you're saying. It's I'm just I'm just I always try to play devil's advocate even when I don't believe in it myself because I know that we we've seen it at trial with these co- cases where these defense attorneys come up with these crazy explanations and we just sh- we just like put our hands in our face because we can't believe that's the angle they're going with. I try to I try to preemptively think of them, even if I don't believe in them personally. Is that are you following what I'm saying? Like it is. It's crazy to think four against one could ever be considered self-defense, but that's kind of the mindset that I was trying to put myself in as I was going through this. Like 
it, it's a possibility, I, I guess. Well, I'm glad you're playing devil's advocate so I don't have to because if it was The Rock <laughs> against you and your brother and then your clone and your brother's clone, I think that you could easily kind of hold back The Rock so you wouldn't have to beat him to death, right? No matter what he did. I, I, we could render him, yeah, unable to, you know, unable to further hurt anybody. Plus, you did say I was pretty tall. You're very you tall. Me. Yeah. She was on the fence about that. Actually, her <laughs> husband said her husband said it first. Stephanie's like, I heard Adam from the background go, wow, he's taller than I thought. Yeah, Adam doesn't have much of a filter, does he? <laughs> no, that was the first words. And I had my back turned. I was like, oh, hey, Adam. Um, uh, but not to get off path. So we've kind of gone over some character stuff. I'm going to read this this DM to you. And then we'll take a break so you guys can can let it kind of resonate and think about it. But this is from an individual who has never spoken to police, as far as I know. Maybe I think he's spoken to police as we sit here today. But at this point, when I received this DM in June, uh, after the episode aired, this is what he had to say. Um, and again, I'm going to paraphrase, not because I'm trying to mislead you, but I'm trying to protect this individual to a certain degree. Okay. So I'm going to tell the story that he's telling here, but I'm going to kind of change up a couple things. Nothing that's really important. But again, I want this case to go forward and I don't want to hurt it. So essentially there's a party that takes place after Cody's party down the road shortly after. It's a whole different party. And Ryan Sabo and Devin Hinkle are there. And at this party, when it's going down, Ryan Sabo gets into an altercation with someone at the party. Shocker. I know. Well, the fight gets broken up and, you know, people are kind of choosing sides as far as like who is the aggressor or whatever. And apparently Devin Hinkle chose the side of the other individual where basically Ryan saw this and saw that like Devin was consoling the other guy and not him. And it really, really upset Ryan. At some point, he says he couldn't believe Devin took the side of someone else when they took him down and never snitched on on each other for Cody. And to put it, say it exactly, they took him down and never snitched or took the rap for one another as it relates to Cody Joyce. So whatever happened that night, they stuck to the story together when they both could have gone to prison to ensure that they both didn't. So they you know corroborated their stories, made sure they lined up, stuck together. And that's what really upset them. So he's essentially saying, I've had his back. We had each other's back. I thought he would have my back here. Exactly. And he specifically referred to the Cody Joyce incident where he said, you know, we did this together. We 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 never snitched on each other. We're we're connected for life. How could he do this to me? Ride or die, bad boys for life. So this to me is again another admission of guilt to somebody who has no skin in the game. This witness has no reason to come forward but i did ask him have you ever spoken to police and he said no i'll be honest i've never spoken to police because out of fear of retaliation and also i just didn't know it would help because i thought they already knew all this you know and i said okay no problem so i called detective dale canafari and by the way this happens remember this this was in june okay i'm pretty excited about this information i think this could be a smoking gun this person has never been in Dale Ganefari just got done telling me he was looking for somebody new, somebody who could relay this information that hadn't already been interviewed before. So I call him up. I explain this individual. By the way, I did do a background check on this person, upstanding citizen, never arrested, 
has a lot going for him. I'm not going to say what career he's in, but a very admirable professional. He's got a lot going for him. Um, and I was excited to relay this information to Detective Canafori. Um, he seemed excited about it. He actually said, wow, this is, this is good. Yeah, I'm going to get right on this. Well, that's not what happened. We're going to get more into it. Let's take a quick break and we'll talk about it. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we're back from break. Stephanie, I just read this DM to you. That's the first time you've ever heard it like that, right? I've, I've, I've hinted to it a little bit, but what, what are you thinking? You've worked a lot of cases. You've researched a lot of cases, some that have been solved, some that haven't, but I'm assuming some that have been solved on less than this right here. So what, what are you, what's running through your mind right now? Oh, first of all, I think Ryan Sabo needs to stop drinking and going out to party because clearly I think he's, he's got, I think he's got some emotional problems, first of all, because to get that upset that your friend chose the side of somebody else in a party to to get that upset where you almost unconsciously um, implicate yourself in somebody's murder because you've drunk so much or drank so much that you just don't have that self-control anymore like that's an issue um i understand why the person might not have thought that they would be i guess that they're that, that what they had to say would be taken seriously by the police like he said he thought that they already knew all of this but you said this is June, right? So how long after Cody's murder? This is over a year at this point, right? Well, yeah, the murder was in 2015. He didn't come to me in this DM until after the show aired. So this is, I believe, June of 2019. So I guess it would have been better if he'd come forward at first. But like we said, this is a tight-knit town. They're not going to want to turn on each other because then they're going to be isolated. They're going to be cast out. You said that this was happening in this town, that there were sides being taken, that there was a very big division. So I understand why he didn't come forward, but I'm very curious to see what, what our homicide detective, Dale, did with this information. Yeah. So, you know, I related to him. And again, my understanding from our conversation after I relayed this information to him and even before this, because we had multiple conversations, was that he was going to take everything he could from, you know, the previous investigation Everything that I had and everything I would hope that he was doing on his own time, because as you have mentioned, he kind of he's kind of the lead detective on this case. So he he was going to put a case together, a package together and submit it to uh, you know, the Allegheny County DA's office and say, hey, listen, let's see what we got. It's either all or nothing at this point. Either it's going to happen or it's not. And he he was he made it seem as if, hey, listen, I can't decide whether or not we're going to pursue this. This is ultimately up to Allegheny County DA's office. Okay, no problem. So you're going to talk to this new witness. I gave you his information. He was willing to talk to you. Yes, I'm going to. Great. One week goes by. No call. Now, by the way, I'm in contact with the CIA almost every day. You know, one week goes by. No call. Two weeks go by. No call. Now, remember guys, two weeks, I have a guy who will testify under oath that one of the four individuals 
connected to the initial investigation, confessed to him. Yes, he was drinking, but this is now the second person that's shown something where Ryan Sable is admitted to killing Cody Joyce. You have Alyssa Juristi's text message. Now you have this. Maybe individually it's not enough, but collectively in totality. I think that's starting to paint a pretty strong picture, no? Didn't you tell me, though, that initially, or I thought I heard somewhere, initially he had made a statement, um, the homicide detective, Dale, Detective Dale, he'd said, oh, um, I'm actually working with the district's attorney to figure out whether we should bring charges against these individuals. And then later he tried to cop out and said, like, oh, it's not my decision. I knew he was talking to them. And what what I'm going to talk about next is going to confirm that. But yes, I believe he was talking to uh, a Trenoski, last name Trenoski from uh, the DA's office. This was the person who was handling the investigation and was handling it at the time when it initially occurred, occurred because John and Paulette had had conversations with this individual in the past. Um, but again, based on what Dale Canafari had relayed to me, I felt this fit the piece of the puzzle that he was looking for in addition to what he was doing. So one week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, one month goes by, two months go by, no call. To this per- to this person, not even a call. So I call. So him back. it wasn't that they weren't calling you; they weren't even calling him. No, <laughs> he told me he'd be back with me in like a week. He they never called the CI, they never called this confidential informant in two months. So it was almost like and he was dangling a carrot for you, like, oh, this witness isn't good enough because we've already talked to him, so we need this. And then you brought that. Then they're like, oh shit! All right, so yeah, we're gonna call him. Not maybe not thinking you would follow up. I felt extremely disrespected. Uh, And again, some of you made, you're right if you say, hey, everyone should be treated equal, but I thought there would be a level of professional courtesy there. I'm not a family member calling you, although they should be treated even better than me. I, I thought we were on the same page that we just wanted to do what was right. We don't care about the four individuals or Cody. We just want the truth to come out. That's where I thought we were. And, you know, I told him this initially, the show's over. I have no incentive to keep going. There's not going to be a part two of the show. I just want to, I promised the family I would see this all the way through. I'm trying to help you do your job. Not getting any money for this. I'm just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And after he had not spoken to this CI in almost two months, I did call him again. And I said, Dale, what are we doing here? It was a, it was a different, it was a different tone from Derek tell you right now. I said, what are we doing here? Because to be frankly honest with you, I feel like you're stroking me. That's exactly what I said to him. I feel like you're playing with, you're just playing with me here and you're just trying to push me off. And I'm telling you that not as a person with emotion, emotions to this case. I'm telling you that as a former detective that I've never seen a homicide detective or even a regular detective get information like this and not even take five minutes to call this person or set up an interview with this person to find out if there's any validity to what they've told me two months. And he said, well, I had a homicide come up in between. So I got a little busy. I said, that's not an excuse. You called me, you reached out to me two months. You haven't had time to even call this person back to say, Hey, I'm going to be in touch with you. And he knew I was done with him. So he goes, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been talking to the DA's office. I've been talking to Chernosky. And the problem, the problem with this case is always going to be this, Derek. Even if we have this individual that you spoke to, we're never going to be able to identify the person who 
actually administered the choke because I don't know if you know this or not, but there were two chokeholds administered. So, and, and for anyone who doesn't know, there's, there's supposedly the initial choke by Devin and then maybe another choke by someone else or Devin again when they're, when they're fighting in the other room. And he goes, so, you know, even if we go forward with this, we're never going to be able to charge anyone because we don't know who actually administered the choke. And I said, hold on a second here. Are you telling me that even though you have an autopsy report that that's ruled it a homicide that said it's due to asphyxiation, right? Compression of the neck, that you have multiple witnesses that have said there was a specific individual who had him in a chokehold. I've given you two witnesses that have pointed out the individual that put him in the chokehold with admissions of guilt from those individuals themselves. You're telling me that even though you have all that, you would rather charge no one than someone. And I said, well, let me ask you, detective, if I have the same case and it involves someone that you care about and we have three individuals, one of us has a knife. We all walk up to your loved one or the victim at the same time. One of the three of us stab that that victim. Do all three of us get to walk away just because you don't know who had the knife? And he goes, well, that's not a, that's not a fair comparison. I go, it's a, it's a completely fair comparison. That's what you're saying to me right now. And I apologize. I'm getting a little loud because I'm getting fired up thinking about the conversation again. I said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I said, but I know where you stand now. We don't need to speak any further. I, I see what I see where you're at. And you go, oh, well, you don't know where I'm at. I might not be the best detective in the world, Mr. Canterfury, but I know where I'm at. And I know when I'm being slow played. And I'm being slow played. And he goes, well, just so you know, ultimately, it would be the DA, because he knew he wasn't going to convince me. He goes, ultimately, it wouldn't be my decision anyways. It would be the DA's office. I said, you told me it was you bringing a case to them to possibly convene a grand jury. Now you're saying it's the DA's office? Okay. Duly noted. You have a great day, sir. And that's how our call ended. That was the last call we ever had. Isn't that the purpose of a grand jury, though? You have four individuals, you know, maybe even three if you take Derek out of it. You got three individuals who we know were involved in this fight. So you you put them all on trial. You present the evidence to the grand jury. You take these witnesses. You put them under um you put them under oath. Under oath. Yeah. And then and then they say what they say, and then the grand jury decides who gets prosecuted and what kind of movement goes forward with each of these three individuals. Isn't that the grand jury's job? Right. To convene, to convene, to decide if there's enough for an indictment. And whether it's an indictment of one person or multiple people. Right. And and again, as we said in the first part, there's a third charge in it's specific to the state of Pennsylvania where you can be charged with third degree murder. And the, threshold that has to be met for that is very just a disregard for human life third degree murder so there's no previous intent just disregard for human life if you're choking someone to the point where they end up becoming incapacitated and then die from that choke would you consider that a malice or disregard for human life if you don't know how long a chokehold can be held until killing someone that sounds like a disregard for human life to me it is a disregard for human life so is because they say they don't know who put put him in a chokehold. Okay, okay, that's fair. But you, what you do have is many other people, and I'll focus specifically on the four the four boys. But you have all these four boys who are now 
lying and covering it up and not being honest about who put who in the chokehold. So I would consider that a disregard for human life as well. And what it seems here is the police and uh, the DA's office, if they were involved in, in any kind of decision making to not move forward, it seems that they placed more value on the lives of these four kids than they did on Cody's life. That's just my opinion. I may not be right, but that's what it feels like. Well, he's already dead. And we don't know exactly what happened. We're not going to put the work into finding out because it's done. It's it's already done. And, and he was, you know, this troublemaker. And we're not going to mess with these kids. Well, I brought up the, the last thing that Dale said about it not being in his court anymore. The ball not being in his court. And he basically put the blame on the DA's office because he knew he knew what I was saying. I was coming for, for blood at that point. No pun intended. Like we were not on the same team. And my my tolerance for his bullshit was gone. So I, he was trying to end it with me to leave me with one last thought that, oh, it's not him. It's the DA's office. But unfortunately for him, I'm playing chess. He's playing checkers because I had already went that route with the DA and I had a different lead that I was following up that I never divulged to him, but he didn't know that. So we're going to get into that. We have one more break, but this next, next information we're going to talk about is extremely compelling because, again, as Detective Dale Canafari said, this is up to the DA's office. That's interesting. We'll get into why that's interesting right after this break. Okay, so we're back. Final break. We're going to get into this, and we're coming to the end here. Um, this has been a lot that we've already covered. The fact that we're we're about 40, 50 minutes in, and these are all new things. It's not like we're just repeating the same thing over and over. We're, we're, we're talking about new things every five minutes. So here's the final piece that finally was the reason why I went back to Pittsburgh. Um, I was working a lead where we have some great fans for Breaking Homicide, and some of them are local to the area of Munhall and, and happen to know people within the Allegheny County DA's office. They don't work there, but they know people, their friends, their neighbors, etc. And for those of you guys that are not familiar with it, with a DA's office, usually they'll hire former homicide detectives after they retire to work for the DA's office as investigators. So, you know, they may get a case, the lawyer, the DA in charge of it may not be certain as to whether they have enough or not, or whether to believe everything they're seeing. So they'll have their own independent investigators look at the case as well. Now, remember before the break, I said that Dale Canafari put this on them. So I had someone who was a supporter of the show and again, just looking for the truth, uh, reach out to an, an active investigator at the Allegheny County DA's office. And this person asked them specifically about this case because the show had just aired. And th this email correspondence is is shortly after the show appeared on TV. So again, I'll paraphrase to protect this person, but um, the fan of the show said, hey, did you see this breaking homicide the other night? What the hell's up with that? Sounds like a pretty clear cut case. What's going on here? And this investigator responded and he wrote, I didn't see the program last night. And this is a quote, but it is all I've heard about this morning. I understand that many people are blaming the DA's office for a possible cover-up. As you know, the officers in our unit could never, capital letters, never understand 
why charges weren't brought. I hope this moves someone to do the right thing. There are still good and honest cops here with total integrity. If I can ever help, just let me know. Good luck and God bless. That's an investigator from the DA's office. What do you think of that? That's a bold statement. That's that's like he's not. I mean, because I know you talked to some other some other police officers who didn't want to give their names because they were afraid of retaliation. They don't want to lose their jobs, which I think speaks volumes all on its own. But this this man as himself is speaking to this person and saying we never in capital letters understood why charges weren't brought. That's very bold. I mean, it doesn't leave a lot of uh, it doesn't leave a lot of room for question, does it? That was my takeaway from it. And then again, these are individuals who are consulting with the DA's office when deciding whether or not to convene a grand jury or whether or not to bring charges. So did you ever get a straight answer of who decided not to bring charges? My opinion is that from my experience, the detective has to put put together a case. He'll get a meeting. He'll set up a meeting with the DA's office and say, hey, guys, I know we worked this case in 2015. I got some new information. I followed up on it. I verified it. I think we have something here. And these are the individuals I think we have something against. Is there any way we could schedule a grand jury, convene a grand jury to present all this evidence to a a jury of their peers and allow them to weigh in on whether or not there's enough? If there's not, and the the grand jury decides that there's not enough to indict, um, you can't bring that person back in. So you only get one shot at it. Um, But at at this point, this is probably their best opportunity because nothing's happened in three years at this point, 2018, 2019. So I believe it falls at the feet of the detectives. And I believe that they need to put together, the DA's office isn't going to do their job for them. They have to go out, they have to do witness statements, they have to interview people, put together a packet, present it to the DA's office, let the DA's office decide whether or not to convene a grand jury. Now, I will say this, I have nothing to prove that that didn't happen. But it doesn't seem like it did based on this email. Yeah, because usually that whole process is a lot more transparent and public. You know, like they'll they'll talk about it in the media and they'll say, oh, the police did this. And then, oh, the D.A. decided to convene a grand jury or the D.A. decided because of this not to convene a grand jury. And they'll kind of keep the public updated on the steps as they go. But as far as I could tell, it's been crickets. Nobody, no statement has really ever come from the D.A.'s office which is strange. That's right. Well, they said it's an open investigation, but that's it, that they can't comment on it, which again, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of blame game. Like they, they nobody wants to take responsibility for why it hasn't gone forward. Um, I, like I said, I believe it's with the Allegheny County PD, but you know, that's, that's my opinion on what I've heard. There was one more email between uh, this fan and the uh, investigator from the DA's office. And again, there were things that were mentioned in there that would give him away, that would give this fan away. So I'm going to leave those out. But I thought there was a line in here that was, uh, they were talking about one of the investigators on Cody's case initially and how he's never worked for the DA's office at any point because that was a rumor as well. Um, but he, this is what he said here. He, again, he goes, um, uh, that person has never worked with us. But like I said, the unit here can't believe what happened from the very beginning with this whole case. Um, they also, he also went on to say, I hope you don't mistrust all police officers. Believe me, no one hates bad cops or incompetent cops uh, more than the ones that go out every day and try to do the, the, the job the right way. Um, if I can ever help, don't hesitate to contact me. 
And that was the end of that, that email. Did you contact him? This was him saying it to the per- the fan. He didn't know that I was going to see this. This was supposed to be between two friends. Um, I was not supposed to have access to this. So you said the DA can't do the the police's job, but with enough public pressure, which I, I feel like did happen in this case, because there was a civil uh, there was a civil suit filed by Cody's family. You you think the DA would would be I guess pressured enough? prompted enough to actually override the police and say, yes, we're sorry that this happened. We're sorry that it didn't go the way it should have. We're taking control of this now and we're going to look at the evidence and make a decision as to whether to convene a grand jury. That didn't happen. I agree. It didn't happen, right? I agree. No, but you do say about public pressure. This is after these emails and after the conversation with Detective Kenafari is when I decided to go public because I was pushing off Cody's family from having another uh, gathering. I said, listen, there's some things going on behind the scenes. Let's just lay low for now. Cause they were like, we want to go out there. We want to promote it. I said, no, let's just lay low for now. Do the justice for Gino stuff. But I don't want to speak publicly yet because I'm speaking with individuals behind closed doors. After that conversation with, uh, detective Kanafari, I knew nothing was going to happen. And so I did fly out to Pittsburgh. We had a gathering at a local park. It was in August of 2019. And I essentially laid out everything that I laid out to you guys tonight. Um, I gave a speech. Um, we're going to attach, there's an actual video clip from that day. Someone filmed it. That was there. Um, there were multiple media outlets there. Um, and I, I basically broke down what I broke down for you guys today to this, to this group of individuals for the first time. And I wanted to let them know, but also let the media know what I was told, what was being said behind closed doors in the hope that something would happen. Nothing never, ever did. I even went as far as telling people to contact the DA's office. I contacted the DA's office and one woman I spoke with said, you you made my job a living hell because my phone hasn't stopped. But still, even with all that, as we sit here today, this case is still an open homicide investigation and nothing has happened as far as um, saying one way or the other, whether this was, this was a murder or this was a, uh, a case of self-defense. We're still sitting in limbo as we sit here today. So you got an autopsy report that says he was murdered. You got several eyewitnesses who were there and stated what happened. You got several people who were not necessarily eyewitnesses there at the time or even present, but knew the parties involved, all parties involved, and could speak to their character. You've got several police officers who came forward and said, yeah, we don't agree with what happened, but we're also afraid and we don't even want to be named because we don't even want to be involved in this. And uh, that's crazy that nothing's happened. Is there some kind of call to action? Is there some kind of petition? Is there some kind of pressure? Because I know we obviously don't, we don't want you guys emailing Detective Dale or any of do those not. specific please. people, but please do not. I think it. I think it would be really, really helpful if the DA's office starts to get some more emails and some more letters, and they start to feel like every single day when they come in at eight a.m. and open their email or check their voicemail, if they're hearing Cody Joyce's name over and over and over again, there might be uh, maybe some movement. I personally, <laughs> so. 
I know like uh, there's been talk of like a cover-up or a conspiracy. I don't even know if it's that deep. I think it's the police completely screwed up this investigation. They didn't collect the evidence and they don't want people to know that. But I mean, still, it's been so long at this point that it would almost be worth it to throw those initial police officers under the bus and be like, yeah, they screwed up, but we want to make it right just to lay this to rest. And they haven't done that. So it does seem like they're closing ranks and it does seem like there is some sort of uh, conspiracy because a conspiracy doesn't necessarily have to mean like, oh, we're doing some grand plan. It can just mean uh, we know that this is this is what happened, but we don't want other people to know that. So we're all going to close ranks around each other, very similarly to how these kids behaved at the party when they were coming out with the same story that that really doesn't have any evidence to prove it was true because they all kind of decided on that before talking to the police, which is sad when the police department (laughs) in in your city or town is behaving in the same way that underage children do at parties. So that's disappointing to say the least. Yeah, it is disappointing. And, you know, I guess the the call to action would be uh would be to call the DA's office, leave a message. Um I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you guys. We had over 1.2 million people watch Breaking Homicide. So, I maybe the power of Stephanie Harlow, maybe it makes a difference. I don't think we should not act just because, but what I would say is just, you know, remain vigilant but also don't hold your breath. There 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 have been a lot of things that have been done in this case, but the reason I wanted us to cover the case here was because I made a promise to John and Paulette. Paulette's no longer with us, but I made a promise to John that I would do anything in my power to try to help push the ball forward. And having an audience like this with Stephanie, who has a a, a big influence in the true crime space, having Crime Weekly, where we're, we're a small podcast, but we're a powerful one. I would have been remiss to not do this. And we had mentioned him by name, so I'm glad we're doing it. It's just one more medium, one more platform where new people are being exposed to this case. And maybe, just maybe one day, whether we have a part in it or not, someone will get off their their ass and finally do something about this case one way or the other. Yeah, make some noise because... I know there might be, and I don't think that there's a lot of people thinking this because you wouldn't really be part of this community if you thought this, but there's probably a lot of people out there saying, well, you know, it's like a fight, you know, kids, these things happen. Like, imagine this was your child or your brother or your boyfriend or your husband. It's not even the fact that, yeah, it was a fight and let's see what happened. It's the fact of, oh, they had a fight. Cody died and it seemed like nobody gave a shit that he was gone. And they didn't want to do anything to make it right. And if this is your child and you're out here fighting and making noise and still nothing's happening, that's that's a sign that the justice system is very broken. And if it's broken in this small town, Pennsylvania, how many other places is it broken? How many other people, how many other families are going through this exact same thing? So, yes, it's just one case. It's just one person. But there is a, a bigger picture lesson to learn here, which is we can't let even one person get away with this. We can't let even one law enforcement um, department get away with this because that sets a precedent and it starts a domino effect where all of these small towns all over America are going to just kind of be doing whatever the hell they want, not following policy, not doing what's right. And no one says anything. No one puts a stop to it and it continues. And so Cody becomes John and Joyce and Elena and Helen and all these other people, all these other names that are lost and they never got any justice. And we're not saying like throw these kids in jail. We're saying put them on trial 
so we can get to the bottom of what really happened. Because if it was just a fight, what do you have to fear? What are you afraid of? If you were defending yourself, prove it. Period. I'm not in the period is the right way to say it because you just said it perfectly. We're just asking for a grand jury to let them be judged by a group of their peers. Um, my thoughts are with John, the rest of Steve, Jill, the rest of the family, um, Melody. If I'm missing anyone, I'm sorry. Um, we're thinking of you guys. And again, we're not calling for the heads of these four individuals. So don't go harass them either, please. We don't even really know where they uh, are, do we? <laughs> well, well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe one of us does, but you know, somebody's <laughs> keeping a track on it. But Yo, Derek, I overall, thought we weren't supposed to keep secrets from each other. You're not keeping up your part of the bargain. Overall, well, you know, got to keep some secrets, some uh, aces in the hole, right? Just in case. Um, but overall- I'm curious to know, you know though, for those who are watching on YouTube or listening on YouTube, because we usually ask you guys a question and we want you to answer in the comments. Derek and I had a little debate about self-defense and could four against one be considered self-defense. So I want you guys to answer that question because I'm curious. You know, it's just the two of us. So we have different opinions on it. But we also want to know what the the general consensus is in a four against one scenario. There's no weapons involved and nobody has a gun. Nobody has a knife. That's important to to make a distinction about. Do you think that four against one could ever in any way, shape or form be considered um, self-defense and and also the they're they're both they're both men or they're all men or they're all female so i'm not talking about you know kind of a, a mixed uh kind of gender thing here so let me and derek know in the comments of youtube absolutely so should we switch it up to a lighter note before we end this one we got some good news right first off we want to say uh you guys will see this friday or hear this wednesday. friday oh, come yeah, on wednesday yeah. yeah so so for those of you who are listening on friday um, we have some exciting news, right? Yes. Do you want me to say it? <laughs> yeah, Lee, why not? Drop okay, it. Okay, our merch is ready. Our first round of merch is ready. We're both wearing it today. Yeah. So you see how it says Crime Weekly? It's got our logo on it. Can you model it for us? I'll model it, yeah. <laughs> and it says Day Oneers on the bottom. So that's going to be the special edition merch that we have for those of you who've been with us since day one. The, the people you're listening, who are listening right now, because we started off the podcast with nothing, no followers, obviously, like every other podcast starts off and we wouldn't still be here and doing this if you guys weren't listening and watching, listening and <laughs> if you guys weren't listening and watching, I'll get there. And you weren't commenting and interacting and following us on social media and giving us case suggestions and stuff like that. Like we wouldn't be here doing this. And we know that. And we want you to know that, too. So this this designs for all of you. Uh, we have long sleeve shirts and you're wearing a T-shirt right now, right? I am. I am wearing the T-shirt right now. We have sweatshirts. We have tank tops, which is what I'm wearing right now. Um, it happens to be my favorite because it is getting kind of hot here in New York. Uh, we have mugs and stickers. Am I missing something? Nope, you nailed yeah. it. Short sleeve, long sleeve, hoodie, mug, stickers. sticker, and the tank, tank top. top. Yeah. So you go to crimeweeklypodcast.com, click shop. You'll see it right there. We teamed up with Bunker Branding. Um, they will be shipping everything right out of Texas. Uh, and we do have uh, options for international shipping. Um, so again, this will be a limited time thing. Eventually, We'll sell just the logo, but this will not be on it. So we'll 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 see what the interest is. We'll we'll keep it there as long as there's people who are buying it. But 
at some point we're going to say, hey, that's it because you could sign up and you're not actually a day one or at one point. So we want to make this for people who have, like Stephanie just said, have been with us since the beginning so that down the road, hopefully as this can, this channel continues to grow, um, this will become something that not many people have, which I think is kind of cool. And we are working on our Undercover Pineapple merch. We we want you guys to send designs if you're graphic designers. We have a couple, but we really want to just, you know, go through like a bunch and pick whichever one like calls to us because I found one that I liked and then Derek was like rah, rah, rah. No, I like <laughs> it I like him I want to see I, as we start to ask I think we're gonna he get a lot he likes options okay he likes options I like options yeah, so I do like options, options. But, we, but we appreciate it we appreciate your time um, and we will see you guys next week now next week if things go right should be the live show from CrimeCon 2021. I say that because things never go we right. Are, <laughs> we're wait, yeah, they never go right. And we're waiting on the recording from CrimeCon and they're very busy. So we are covering uh, Praveen Varagese. We're w- with lovely Varagese who was on stage with us. We would like to just take that and put it on here. So whoever could not attend CrimeCon will have the opportunity to hear Praveen's story. Um, but again, we'll see how that plays out. Um, is there anything else I'm missing? I think you're good. I think I'm good. I will say at the end of this video, now that we're done talking, if you would like to watch the actual, um, the, the, the rally that we had where someone recorded the actual speech I gave that day and also John spoke and I believe Steve spoke, you can see it for yourself. We're going to be adding that to the end of this video. So feel free to watch that as well. Again, thinking of, uh, Cody's family and, Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to come here and listen or watch this. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you so much. Later. He's got a lot to say. Did you shut it off? No, you might have to talk to him right up to it. Right on it. There right you on it. There you go. Now it's yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Thank you. I'm back again. Thank you. Thank you. A short little story. Should I tell my my traveling adventure? Sure. So I flew in this morning and I got to DC. And when I landed, they decided to tell me they canceled my flight to Pittsburgh. So I wasn't going to be able to make it today. So John's like, oh, all right, well, whatever. I said, apparently you don't know me too well. So uh, I, I rented a rental car and drove five hours. So, uh, I'm not going to cover too much of what happened the night of the incident because, frankly, you guys know it just as well as I do, if not better for some of you. Some of you lived it. Some of you experienced it. So I don't want to sit here and rehash that. What I really want to talk about is what happened after the show. Because those are the things you don't know about yet. And uh, frankly, I've been keeping it from you because I've been trying to work with the Allegheny County Police Department. And for the integrity of the investigation, I haven't shared anything. Because ultimately, we want justice, right? It's not about the show. It's not about television. It's not about these cameras. It's about getting justice for Cody and having this judicial system work for you guys the way it's supposed to. So I haven't shared it until today. And unfortunately, um, due to some conversations I've had with the Allegheny Police Department, it's my gut feeling based on my 15 years in law enforcement that uh, we're kind of at a dead end. But I'm going to let you guys be the judge because I'm going to share everything that happened with with them. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, professional courtesy is kind of off the table at this point. I let them do their job. 
let them have an opportunity to talk to the people that came forward. They didn't, so I'll share it with you guys, and then you can be the judge. How's that sound? Okay, so first I want to start off with why did I take this case on? We get thousands of submissions for breaking homicide, and, and when I first read this case, it seemed pretty close and shut to me, honestly. You had a medical examiner ruled it a homicide, there's no sign of drugs, you had multiple witnesses there, you had individuals who had injuries to their arms that were indicative of a, a choke, which was the cause of death for Cody. So for me, I'm like, well, you know, what's going on here? Why, why do I really need to go? And as I talked to John and as I talked to Paulette, I realized there was one big question and it was what's going on inside the DA's office? What's going on here? Why hasn't there been justice yet? Why hasn't there been at least a grand jury? And so that's why I decided to come. And I said, you know what? Because I, I'm not going to lie to you. John knew this. I said, I'm not here to work for you. I'm here to find the truth. And if I find out that, you know, there's a, a reasonable explanation as to why charges haven't been brought, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it on the show. I've done it before. And uh, that was my goal, to come in here and find the truth. Not to find the truth for John, not to find the truth for Paul or Cody, but to find the truth as exactly, objectively what it was. And what I left here with, after completing my investigation, was a bigger question. Why hasn't anybody been held accountable for Cody's death? It's that simple. You have an autopsy report that ruled it asphyxiation due to a chokehold. You have multiple witnesses saying Cody was in a chokehold. And yet, nobody's been held accountable. I give this analogy all the time. You know, if I and three other guys go up to someone with a knife and that individual gets stabbed, if they can't identify who had the knife, we don't all walk away scot-free. It's just not the way it works. It's common sense. You don't have to be a lawyer to figure that out. So that's what I left you with, and I hoped that by calling out for a call for action, and I did on social media, some of you probably saw it, you know, reaching out to the Allegheny County uh, DA's office, asking them to come out with some sort of statement or some closure for this family so that they can move forward. And I thank you guys for doing it because I can tell you that they received thousands of complaints and, and yet still no public statement. However, because of what you guys did, I did receive a message from a Detective Dale Canapori from the Allegheny County Police Department about a week after the show aired. So why do you think that is? It's because of you guys. It's because of you guys. So thank you for that. Uh, he reached out to me. He said he was now working the case. And uh, we both agreed very, very quickly that this case needed to come to a resolution. There needed to be some type of closure. He didn't promise me an arrest. He didn't promise me a grand jury. He just said, you know, we got to bring this case to a closure. That's the bottom line. And he said, if you have anything that you think would help, I'd really like your assistance. And I said, well, listen, Detective Kenafori, I already have people emailing me and, and messaging me with information about this case that I think is advantageous to a possible prosecution. He said, okay, I'm all for it. But I'd like to start with the uh, individual who here saw the show. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Uh, there was an individual on the show who was at the party that night and saw Cody in a chokehold, right? And saw what happened to him. And I kept that person's identity confidential for his safety. And the detective wanted to speak with him. So after confirming with that individual that it was okay, I shared that information. And the uh, detective's immediate response was, oh, we already interviewed him. I said, okay. Um, you know, I'm not trying to question your work ethic here. And this guy, Detective Kenafori, has been doing it a long time. He's 25 years in Pittsburgh. Um, I said, not to question your, you know, your rationale here, but in my experience, we do have cases as a detective where a victim or a witness will come forward at a later date 
with more information. Maybe it was because they were scared at first, maybe because they didn't have time to remember. Maybe it was because they were scared of, you know, possible retaliation by the people involved. There's a million reasons why someone wouldn't give everything to the police that very night when it happened. It's called the supplemental report. There's actually a name for it. We do it all the time. He said, all right, I'll call him by the end of the week. Okay, no problem. I'll keep this confidential. I won't put it out to anybody in, in the public. Week goes by, no call. Two weeks go by, no call. So finally, I called the detective back and I said, what's going on? Are you going to call him? He said, yeah, I'll call him. Finally, after some phone contact, they get in touch. Um, and the reason I know this is because the confidential informant called me and said, hey, Derek, I, you basically got me on the phone and said, you already gave a statement. There's nothing I can do with you, but thanks. And I said, okay, that's that's interesting. So if you watch the show, then you know how I am. I'm not going to let that go. So I call him back, the detective back, and I said, hey, detective can't afford you. What, what happened? And to his defense, he said, well, I told you. I think a defense attorney would rip him up. Now, I didn't say this to him, but last time I checked, our job isn't to play prosecution defense attorneys. to gather the information, collect it, and pass it along to the lawyers that make that decision. Not the detective. However... I said, okay, so you're really interested in people who haven't been spoken to yet. That's what you're really interested in? I said, okay, well, I have a couple people who are character witnesses who can attest to the people involved with this case, the persons of interest, some of the individuals that were there that night. I'll pass that along to you. But more importantly, I have an individual who has never spoken to police before. He came forward after the show and will testify under oath that one of the persons of interest after the incident confessed to killing Cody. What do you think about that? That's great. You have someone who will say that they confessed to him. Absolutely. Let me confirm and make sure they'll speak to you. Sure enough, this individual who is an upstanding citizen, never been in trouble, has no incentive to lie, is actually friends with the persons of interest, was willing to speak with the detective. Gave him the information. He said, I'll call him first thing next week, Derek. That's big. Okay, thank you, Detective Canapori. Beginning of the week comes, no call. End of the week comes, no call. Following me, no call. So finally I called the CI again. Did he call you yet? No, he hasn't. So I called Detective Canterbury back again. Hey, why haven't you called him? Oh, I've been busy. You mean to tell me you have an individual who will tell you that one of your main persons of interest for a case you have not closed yet, that you ruled an open homicide investigation, is willing to speak and, and speak under oath that one of your persons of interest confessed to killing Cody, and also confessed to covering it up with another one of the persons of interest. It's never been spoken to police before, guys. Never. Yeah, I'll get around to him. Wow. Guys, as I sit here with I'm you real. today, as I sit here with you today, he still has not called this individual. Wow. He's not going to. Why? I got to tell you, I'm not into sensationalism. I was a police officer since I was 20 years old. I can tell you right now firsthand that I've never had a situation where we've had an open homicide investigation and someone wants to speak to me about possibly implicating someone in a murder and I don't call them for a month. I'd probably lose my job, to be honest with you. Absolutely. I'd probably lose my job. And listen, it doesn't. I don't take any pride in calling out cops because I'll be the first to tell you guys, some of you may agree with it, some of you may not, I'm pro-law enforcement. I believe most cops are trying to do the right thing. 
But when the when guys aren't doing their job, whatever their motive is, you got to call it out. Especially in our society today, where there's a lack of trust within law enforcement in our judicial system. That's why I'm not I'm doing this. My cameras from my show are not here today. I came up here on my own dime because it's the right thing to do. So that's why I'm here. There's no other incentive behind this, behind getting to the bottom of this, getting to the truth. And there's one more thing I want to share with you guys because it was kind of the nail in the coffin why I came here today. Because after that last conversation I had with Detective Canafori, I asked him, well, let me ask you something, Dale, before you call the CI, because, spoiler alert, I knew he wasn't going to call him. Um, what's going to happen if he does, in fact, tell you that this individual confessed to killing Kobe? He said, well, I got to be honest with you, it's not up to me. All I do is gather the information and then the Allegheny County DA's office will decide whether or not charges are brought forward. I said, that's interesting, that's interesting because you told me at the beginning that you were going to work with them collectively, make your recommendations, and we're going to see where this went. And now you're telling me it's, it's 100% on the Allegheny County DA's office. He goes, yep. Uh, Kevin Chernoski is the guy you want to speak with. He's the guy that spoke with you guys before. He's the one in charge of this investigation. And uh, frankly, just so you know, this is where I knew that he had spoken to Kevin Chernoski. Um, Mr. Chernoski attempted to set up a meeting with Paulette and John on a previous occasion. And they didn't show up. Well, unfortunately for him, I already had that story from John. So I knew the truth. And I said, yeah, you're partially right. What happened was they wanted to meet with John and Paulette. And then John and Paulette smartly asked for a lawyer to be present. Why wouldn't you, right? And he said, well, who's the lawyer? We're not going to say the name of the lawyer right now, but they said, oh, no, he can't come, and if he comes, the meeting's off. So, so John and Paulette did not show up. However, correct me if I'm wrong, you did show up at a later date and had your meeting. It was rescheduled. It was rescheduled. So it doesn't make sense. They showed up, they did their part, and yet nothing still has come out about this case. So why am I bringing that up? Well, as I just said, Detective Canafori said, the Allegheny County DA's office was responsible for this case. Well, we have some good fans at Breaking Homicide, and some of them are friends with investigators inside the Allegheny County DA's office. And investigators who are currently working there as investigators who consult with the lawyers because they're former homicide detectives themselves. So, for the sake of this fan, and also for the sake of this detective, because based on what he wrote, I believe he's trying to do the right thing. I'm not going to say his name, but I can tell you it came from his government, Allegheny County DA.us email. Um, and I'm going to read you some of his responses after the show aired. This was on June 18th at 1.47 p.m. Okay, this is from an investigator who currently works for the Allegheny County DA's office when they have homicides, like he's come in and he consults on it. This is what they do, okay? His response, not mine. I didn't see the program last night, but it's all I've heard about this morning. Thank you, guys. That's because of you guys. Okay, so obviously they're talking about inside the business. All right? I understand that many people are blaming the DA's office for a possible cover-up. As you know, the officers in our unit never understood why charges weren't brought in this case. I hope this moves someone to do the right thing. There's still good and honest cops here and with total integrity. That's email number one. Here's another one. The detectives here at the DA's office are totally removed and not associated at all with the Allegheny County police detectives. Like I said, the unit here can't believe what happened from the very beginning, but we were never involved. These are actual cops inside their own offices saying this. He doesn't know I'm going to be reading it in front of y'all, all you guys in this, this news crew here, but we're doing it now. Um, 
Again, this is his words. I hope this forces a grand jury, and maybe this can be settled once and for all. Sir, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. And he just, again, the last one here, he basically just says, again, we're not in charge of investigating this case. It was on the Allegheny County Police Department. Um, and he's putting it on now. So here's my problem. I want to work with them, but it's almost like I have, two, I have two daughters. And it's almost like they're fighting over who has to do the chores. These are government agencies that are working for you. And they can't decide who's responsible for bringing charges. You have an autopsy report that indicates how someone was killed. You have bite marks on one of the persons of interest that indicates the chokehold wasn't in fact administered. You have a confession and a text message from one of the individuals. You have a verbal confession from another one of the individuals. And yet I'm standing before you almost four years later and it's still undetermined. It's not right. Why is there a cover-up? Why do, who do you think they're covering up for? I'm not going to go to say there's a cover-up because I don't believe in conjecture and speculation. But I can tell you that as a police officer, I cannot answer you why nothing has been done. I've consulted with lawyers from this area. There was lawyers on the show. And, and I don't understand that if this was a case of self-defense per, per se, that should have been said three years ago. As of today, this is an open homicide investigation. They have all the facts. They've interviewed all the people, except the ones that I've brought forward. If they haven't ruled in self-defense yet, they're not going to. But that's why I'm here today, because I'm asking for your help again, okay? We gotta raise the stakes. We gotta raise up the heat. I can tell you, I don't know if she's gonna show up or not, but I just got off the phone with uh, Lisa Middleman. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That is number two friends. I called her cell phone and said, hi, it's Derek. <laughs> and uh, supposedly she's gonna stop by. We'll see if she actually does. And she wants to say a few words. She's familiar with the case. Um, so hopefully she shows up. But what I'm asking before I get into the politics of it, because frankly, guys, I don't live here. You guys do. This is your this is your place of business. This is where you work. This is where you live. This is where your kids live. Okay, everyone needs to be treated equally. So what I'm asking for you to do is we go out there, we send emails to the Allegheny DA's office, we send them to politicians, we send them to anybody you think will listen. Phone calls, I don't care. Do what you have to do. Be respectful, but be persistent. And we're not asking, we're not demanding for an arrest. We're not demanding for a grand jury. We're demanding an answer. We want to know yes or no. Is there going to be a grand jury convened or are you closing this case? And if you're closing this case, we want the police reports released. We want to see them for ourselves. If you're going to take the law here in Pennsylvania and apply it to this case and come to the conclusion that no charges should be filed, we want to see those facts and circumstances that brought you to that conclusion. You owe that to this family. Amen. To leave them in limbo, it's not right. And I'll say something else you may not agree with. You have four persons of interest connected to this case, and I'm, I'm not saying their names intentionally, but you have four individuals that many people believe should be in jail right now. Is that fair to say? Yes. Okay. Let's look at it from the other side. Do they deserve to have this finally closed one way or the other? Either yeah. they go yeah. to jail or they're vindicated. Right. One way or the other. Absolutely. They're going through their lives right now kind of in the middle because nothing's been released. So everybody deserves an answer. And the only people who can give that to us is the Allegheny County DA's office. And I have to call out Kevin Chinoski yeah. and I have to call out Steven Zapala. That's their job. They got to do their job. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't take doing this to have an answer for a, a case four years later when there's really 
you'll get some cases where you'll have DNA and the science and technology hasn't caught up yet and you have to wait. This is not one of those cases, guys. So I thank you guys for coming. Um, I'll definitely answer any questions. That's a good question, actually. I gotta I gotta let Munhall off the hook a little bit here because overall the Allegheny County Police Department is responsible for the homicides. They turned it over to them very early in the process. So they're basically the overall jurisdiction for this case, and Munhall couldn't release anything even if they wanted to. But as you saw in the show, there were some police officers who reached out to me who were in the show, who are in fear of retaliation or losing their jobs, but I think we, we know how most of them feel. They were there that night. For the officers that were there and saw what transpired, they know what happened. Go ahead. So we did what we were asked to do, writing a letter to the Bar Association. I'm probably many. Steve Bashore got letters back in the mail that said, thanks, but no thanks. We can't do anything down here. Call the state attorney general. Right. Correct. How do we as a team, where we You know what people really care about sometimes? Votes. Yeah. Absolutely. Vote them out. Vote them out. I mean, how? Yeah, we're small. You're small, but that's why we're doing this. And listen, I'm, I'm a realist. John knows this. I call it how I see it. I'm not promising you guys that you're going to get the fairy tale ending. I'm not. I'm just telling you what the facts are as we sit here today. Because at the end of the day, I could just keep it to myself, and you'd never know what happened. But as of right now, this is where it stands. And I'm telling you, I'll put myself out there telling you that as a former detective, I've never seen a case conducted this way. So I'm hoping that with the continued pressure and competition against them, if Lisa Middleton, uh, Middleton actually got the votes, apparently she did, she got the signatures required, that something changes. Because Cody's family is not the only family that's experienced this. Absolutely. So you may be one small group, but there are many small groups out there. And there's two options. You can try and leave it all on the field and say, hey, whatever happens, it wasn't for lack of effort. Or you could do nothing. That's up to you. I, like I said, I don't live here. I don't vote. But I know it's right and I know it's wrong. And this isn't right. Collectively, where do we, we just keep pressuring the Bar Association, DA, the AG, just... Everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, from what I understand, this is an election year, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. If you don't, well, keep calling out for them. Keep calling the media outlets. They love that. Call them too. And listen, they're your best. And listen, I have my pros and cons with that with media. They have their pros and cons with me too. But it's it's one of those things where they are an asset. They are a tool. And genuinely, they want to get the truth out there. Hey, they're here, are they? They are. Yeah. 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 Yes. So, again, you don't want to focus on the negative. Raise this way my whole life. Focus on what you can control. And what you can control is your voice and your words. And your vote. And your vote. Don't vote. give up. And again, I hate the politics of it. Like I said, I'm not hearing. I don't know her from a hole in the wall. All I know is what's working right now with what this, the current administration is. It's not working appro appropriately. And it's not. People aren't being held accountable. And so I really can't tell you exactly why that is to answer your question, but I can tell you that this goes higher than just a couple people, in my opinion. Um, when I first spoke to the detective, as I said, he was very optimistic about this. And then after he spoke with certain individuals, the story completely changed. And if there's one thing I know, it's people. And I knew the minute I heard his voice, where it was going. And that's why I decided to, to do this. We didn't want to do this. This is not what I want to be doing. It comes off as, you know, you're trying to sit in front of me. It's not what I want to be doing. I'd rather be down here for a press conference because they convened a grand jury, personally. But unfortunately, you got to do what's right. And, and it's my own brothers and sisters that may be involved. 
then so be it. But I have a feeling there's people above them that are ultimately making the decisions. And that's the people we got to get to because a lot of them are in elected positions. Yeah. They're not guaranteed their jobs. You decide. I would contact everyone. What is it? What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Contact everyone. Right now we're streaming this. There's probably a couple hundred thousand people watching. So you say you're a small group, but I have 500,000 people that follow me. So a few of them might have a call or email to make. Trust me, it wasn't just you guys who made the emails and calls the first time. It was a lot of the people who watched the show. We had over a million people watch the show. So you just got to keep fighting. I wanted to share it with you because at minimum, regardless of what happens, you deserve to know. This was a national television show. And not one statement was made by the Allegheny County DA's office in regards to this case. To me, it's just a lack of disrespect. It's a lack of respect for this family. Why not even call them? On, they don't have to release anything publicly. Call them on, on the side and say, hey, this is where we're at. We're still working it. Don't worry. Nothing. To me, that's not right. And if it was my kid, I wouldn't let it go. It'd, it'd be a sad day for them because I'd be there every day, personally. And that's why John's doing what he's doing. That's why Steve's doing what he's doing. And if Paulette was here, she'd be doing it as well. I made a promise to her beforehand, before she passed away, unfortunately. We were texting back and forth. We were very optimistic about the way this was going to go. And I promised her that. couldn't promise her there was going to be a rest, but I promised her I would never give up. I implore you to do the same thing because I'm not going to stop. So I, I hope that you do the same I thank you guys for coming out. I know Steve might want to speak. I'm hoping Lisa shows up. She's person, the real person we want to push because she's someone who can make a difference. But I do appreciate you guys coming. I wish I had better news. But unfortunately, this is the reality. Right? If you want change, it starts with us. So thank you for listening. And uh, I'll turn it over to... Uh, thank you. Thank you.